Good morning, Forest View. I'm Craig. In case you didn't know that, I'm Craig. Uh, and, I'm, and before we actually get into um, talking about the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, uh, and then thinking more about that, I wanted to give you a quick little introduction or a update from the uh, leadership team again. <laughs> I know I've been up there a fair bit, it feels like. Uh, and this, Cole mentioned just this quickly earlier. This is where we were. If you sort of see our trajectory here from August 31st, where we were kind of behind budget, $73,000 and 21% down. That was whittled down to 40,000 and 10% behind. And I've got more good news. Yes. <laughs> so this is great. This is really, really good. Thank you so much. Because what this also means, because this isn't like a static you know, your work target that you're working towards, right? It's accumulating every week. So this means that also our weekly giving is also going up. So on behalf of the leadership team, thank you very much. This is great when the church pitches in and does what the church does, which is be generous, right? Extraordinarily generous. So thank you. We still have a ways to go, but uh, December's coming and then we'll be done. <laughs> so thank you again for uh, all your, uh, your support of this place. And, uh, and again, as I say, your generosity. Uh, as you heard earlier, we're a community of people that are interested in meeting, encountering Jesus freshly because we want to be more like him. That's what we want to be here. And so as we were thinking about that, uh, we kind of said, why don't we spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus is perhaps arguably greatest sermon arguably the greatest sermon of all time, right? Uh, we wanted to spend, and so from now, actually, this fall, this is where we're landing, this Sermon on the Mount. And so I'd like to um, continue with you today thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do, I'd like us to read together from Matthew chapter 5. And in fact, this is a great day that we're going to look at a big, long chunk of, chunk of text today. So if you have your Bibles, this is a great time to, to get it and follow along with us. But I would like to, as Doug has done, and actually many parts of the church do, especially for the reading of the Gospels, they stand to read the Gospels, the words of Jesus. So let's, let me invite you to stand, and we'll read this call quickly, not quickly. <laughs> we'll read this call of Jesus together. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Father, this is our desire, to be salt and light together. Use your words, Jesus, to call us freshly into your mission and into your purpose for our lives. And to begin and continue that transforming change from the inside out. We cry out to you, Spirit of God. Move amongst us, we pray. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Take your seats. Jesus says we are to be salt and light. It was something that we heard from the Morrisons a couple weeks back, being salt and light. Um, but the obvious question comes, so what does it mean to be salt and light? And if you're in this day and age, way back when, the answer was pretty easy. You simply looked to the Pharisees because they were the perfect picture of what it meant to keep the law. You can't, sorry, I should have said, I forgot one of the, the, the easy way to, let me go back. What does it mean to be salt and light? Easy, keep the law. And if you wanted to keep the law, you look at the Pharisees, right? Because they're the ones who kept it perfectly. But into this mix comes Jesus. And he seems to break all the rules. Because he didn't seem to follow the rules the way the Pharisees did. In fact, he's, he breaks the Sabbath. He touches people considered unclean. He minimizes and overturns their dietary laws, saying, you know, it's not what you eat that matters. It's not what goes into your mouth that matters as much as what comes out of your mouth. Like, he turns everything upside down. And so when you ask this question, what does it mean to be salt and light? And you say, go to the law, go to the Pharisees. Then you have Jesus saying these words, and you're saying something doesn't quite fit. So Jesus needs to teach us what it means to follow the law. Jesus needs to teach us about the law. And here's what he says. Let me read to you from verses 17 to 20. He says, this is the lawbreaker. Remember, the one who's accused of being the lawbreaker. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Now, remember what I said about Jesus being the lawbreaker, and now this. Do you, do you get the sort of, what? What's happening here? I, I, don't, I don't get this, right? He says, I've not come to abolish the law of the prophets. Ah, I've come to fulfill. I've come to lift them up, to fulfill. In fact, um, the, the text actually says, I've not come to abolish Anything. I've come to abolish, I've come to fulfill everything. I've not come to abolish, I've come to fulfill, right? To bring the law and the prophets to what they were intended to be, to lift them up to their big purpose. And then he goes, and then unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, for us in this day and age, when we see Pharisees, if you've been familiar with the Bible at all, 
you might know, the Pharisees are often the bad guys, right? Like, you kind of know that, right? When you hear the Pharisees, you kind of know they're the hypocrites, they're the ones, right? So we kind of read it with that lens. But I need to just put this in context a little bit because I think even in Matthew, he doesn't treat them this way. The Pharisees were actually people who practice this magnificent obedience, all right? So get this. They paid huge amounts of taxes. But in addition to all that, they donated 10% of their income to charity down to the very last penny. They let themselves be butchered defenselessly rather than make light of God's gift of the Sabbath. They suffered the most horrible forms of martyrdom rather than give up their Bible. These are people who recognize that life is truly human only when God is more important than anything else. Right? These guys are not the bad guys. Not at all. These guys are... They sound good, right? You with me? Like they kind of, they sound like exactly what we'd love everyone here to be, what I'd love to be, right? Um, So it's against this context, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of like me saying, Unless you're nicer than Doug, all right? I mean, honestly, have you ever met any? Maybe Ruth's a little nicer, right? But I mean, unless you're nicer than Doug, you ain't going to get there, right? That's almost what say, unless you can work spreadsheets better than Brian or write better than Elizabeth. Like, I just can't. Like, it's just impossible, right? To dream the impossible dream. Like, that's, that's almost what it is. This, What? How in the world am I ever going to be nicer than Doug? How am I ever going to be? more righteous than the Pharisees. But Jesus used a whole different understanding of righteousness. In fact, he twists the whole equation around. This is kind of how, ready for math with Craig? All right, here we go. So this is how I kind of picture um, the Pharisees, how they think of righteousness, all right? For them, righteousness is purity times purity. In fact, you could even say purity to the nth degree. It's exponential. It's like purity upon purity upon purity upon purity upon... Do, do you remember, some of you, some of you people, remember your exponential graphs? Remember what they look like? Remember that? Here we go. No, some of you said I took therapy for that. Um, right? They kind of go up like this, like this incredible... Now, they never actually meet their limit, right? They just keep on... Cur- and it always feels like when they get to the top, they're going to fall under the weight of themselves. But... That's kind of what this is. Purity times purity times purity times purity times purity. And you can always be a little more pure and the graph goes up. Jesus operates with a different math, I'm convinced. For him, it's this. Righteousness is purity. Don't get that. Don't make any mistake about it. Matthew, Jesus in Matthew prizes purity. Let them see your good works. Let everyone see their, your good works. Remember, we just read that? And glorify your Father in heaven. Purity is very important for Jesus. But if you think that's it, you're missing the point. It's purity plus, right? It's purity plus. Purity plus a heart 
that cares about others. In fact, a heart that's dedicated to right relationships. In fact, for Jesus, purity is really all about restoring, chasing after, prioritizing right relationships. When Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees, he's not saying purity upon purity upon purity. He's saying there's something totally different at play. I'm not talking about multiplying purities. <laughs> I'm talking about right relationships, pursuing right relationships. That's what I'm all about, Jesus says. Interesting enough, um, oh, I uh, the, the word actually in, in, in Greek is for, for righteousness is the same word that's often translated justice, right? We kind of miss that. And it's not sort of litigious judge, justice, you know, like, this, like, you know, I'll take you to court and I'll get every penny. Not that sort of stuff, but the justice where relationships are restored, where people are brought together, just, right? Righteousness is about justice and, and, and right relationships. That's, that's what Jesus... And, and this isn't a new thing. Jesus isn't this... This is actually reclaiming, fulfilling the law and the prophets. This is the trajectory Jesus is following all the way through uh, about health, shalom, relationships, bringing peace into our world. To be righteous is to live justly. Righteous living for Jesus is just living. It's right living. You got, you got that? You got that word? I mean, it's a word that's so... We don't hear it any other place, righteousness. We don't hear it any other place except in church. And so I always get worried that terms like this get churchified. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right? They get churchified, and we start to lose their meaning. But it simply means, or profoundly means, right relationships. That's what this is all about. And Jesus says, without this type of right righteousness, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's another phrase. Kingdom of heaven, or as Luke puts it, kingdom of God, refer to the reign of God, the rule of God, the kind of the way of God. Now, oftentimes when we see this, it's easy for us to think, Oh, Jesus is saying, unless you exceed the Pharisees' righteousness, you'll never enter heaven. That, that's often the way people are thinking, but that's not what this is saying. That's not what this is about. Uh, this, this is saying, unless you have a righteousness that's more profound than the Pharisees, you won't be able to enter into the rule of God. The reign. It's kind of like, instead of thinking about this being about getting into heaven, this is about heaven getting into us. Right? Got it? Right? The kingdom of heaven. Yes, there's a time when we look forward to it and long for when God's ways will be made the way of everything. When his righteousness will sweep this earth. A new heaven and new earth. We long for that day. But even now, God's kingdom is amongst us, Jesus says. It's drawing near to us. And Jesus says, unless you have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees, you're never going to be able to enter into it. Why? Because the piety of the, of the Pharisees is exhausting. 
right? It's exhausting. It's filled with striving and comparisons and rivalry. It's, it's no longer thinking the best of each other. In fact, you're always judging and seeing whether that person measures up, whether I measure up, right? But if you seek after right relationships, if you seek after Jesus' understanding of righteousness, you're already entering into the ways of God. God's ways are about shalom and peace and rest- restoration. Well, Jesus just then goes on to describe these, this new righteousnesses, which really isn't new at all. all right? It just gotten distorted, as religions often do. And he does this with what are known as six antitheses. Now, this is where we're going to go fast. <laughs> so if you have your text, there might be one that grabs your attention. You want to, I'm going to have them up here. But this will be something for our CovComs to look at more closely if they wish. But he offers six antitheses. Six times where it says, hey, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. Right? I know this is what you've always thought. This is what you've always heard. But I'm telling you something different. I know this is what you thought righteousness was, but I'm telling you this is what it is. Right? Six of these things. And we're going to go through them quickly. So you ready? Yeah. All right. Get your running shoes on. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the first one. You've heard it said, don't murder. But Jesus says, hey, don't even be angry. More than that, don't diminish another person. Don't insult another person. And more than that... <laughs> Do you see how he keeps on restoring relationship? More than that, I want you to be reconciled to the person that you're angry with. I want you to be a reconciler because anger and feuding leaves you in a prison, <laughs> penniless. If you're not careful, whether that be literally, sometimes, metaphorically, always. All right? So he says, don't be angry. You heard it said, don't murder. I'm saying, don't be angry. Next one. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But he says, I don't even want you to look lustfully at another person. I don't want you to look at another person as a means to an end, as something to be acquired. I don't want you to have that sort of acquisitive spirit that's always looking to grasp and hold on and use another person for your own benefit. Why? Because that consumes the whole body. You might think it's just a little thing, but it's actually consuming you, your whole body. Next, you've heard it said, all you have to do if you want a divorce is give her a certificate. And that's a good thing rather than abandoning her. That's what you've heard it said, right? Give her a certificate of, a, of divorce rather than just walking out on her. Because back in those days, that would say that, hey, it's all nice and legal. You're free to go. But Jesus says, except for extreme circumstances, be faithful to your covenant. Why? <laughs> because covenants are important to God. Covenants are forever. And to do anything less leaves things a mess. Purity matters to God. Now, I want to put this in a little bit of context here, too. Back in this day, if a man divorced a woman, 
And that's the only way it would happen, right? It has to be a man divorcing a woman. It didn't happen no other way. If a man divorced a woman, that woman was penniless and was forced to find either another husband in order to survive, which was difficult because now she was defiled, or take up a job as a prostitute. Right? Those were her choices. Even at the heart of this commandment, we have this concern for the other. And that's Jesus' big message. Even though times have changed, Jesus wants to hear the call to covenant faithfulness and a deep caring for those we're in relationship with. Right? A deep caring. Anything less leaves things a mess. Right? Do you hear both those tensions? Right? Next one. You've heard it said. Don't lie or make false promises. Jesus says, hey, don't promise anything. Right? Why? Because you're not in control. Right? When you promise things, you tend to think that I can make this happen, but you're not in control. Right? Instead, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just live honestly. Live truthfully. No need to sort of pile vows upon vows upon vows. Be a person of integrity. And know your own limitations. You are not God. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says, don't practice vengeance. Instead, be crazy generous. It's like if, if he steals, your, if, if, if he steals your, your tunic, say, I've got a cloak too. This sort of reverse upside down, wow, what's that all about? Right? If he forced you to go one mile, travel with him another two. This sort of crazy generosity that flies in the face of, you've heard it said, revenge, he's saying no. Why? Because it's all about restored relationships. That is at the heart of this whole thing. Right? You've heard it said, ah, let's just be fair. No, let's not give up until that relationship is restored, even if it means going an extra mile, even if it means taking off your, having my sweater as well as my coat, <laughs> right? Restored relationships. And then he ends, he says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. This is the culminating command of Jesus that encapsulates everything else. To fulfill the law is to practice love, to be generous, to live at peace with each other, even and especially those people who drive you crazy. <laughs> All right? Even and especially those people who don't treat you real well. Even and especially those people that you've been feuding with for a long time. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Now, I need to say here, the purpose of these antitheses is not 
to beat up ourselves or other people. Jesus said, and you are, you know, or, oh, I'm such a, right? In fact, ironically, if it did that, if that's how we use these things, they actually go against the purpose of Jesus. We'd actually be falling into the plight of the Pharisees, right? Because it'd actually be ruining relationships, either me with the person I'm condemning or me with myself, condemning myself. No, that's not the purpose. Instead, the purpose is to reclaim and restore the purpose for our lives. That's what these all are about. If you think that life is about following rules and getting everything right, you are undoubtedly exhausted. It is about living in peace with other people. And as we do that, we enter into the beautiful kingdom of God. That is, Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Come and rest. This is a rest. Right? Resting, Sabbath resting in this shalom. When we live this way, we participate in the reign of God. And then Jesus ends with these words. Oops, I missed one. So I got ahead of myself. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if we thought that it was a pretty high bar to be as nice as Doug, this one is even higher, right? Be perfect. Now, that word perfect is an interesting one. If you're tempted to say, oh, my goodness, I got a pile, piety upon piety upon piety, perfect, I'll never reach that. You've got the wrong definition of that word. The Greek word for perfect is the word telos, and you might have come across that in whether it be philosophy, whatever. Telos is about purpose, right? It's about your end point. It's, it's about, well, when Jesus dies on the cross at the end, he says, it is finished. That's telos. He says, to telestai, it is finished. It's completed. I've done what I've come to do. I fulfilled my purpose. That's what telos is all about. When he says, be perfect, he's saying, have your purpose be aligned with God's purpose. Live life in perfect harmony with the will of the Father. So I actually might translate this verse, if, if you had troubles with that word perfect, if you jumped into a Pharisee mode, which is, believe me, so easy to do, maybe you think about it this way. You therefore must fulfill your purpose. Perfect. Perfectly aligned to the purpose of your heavenly Father, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? Do you got the idea? Of, it, it's, it's not about this, right? The righteousness of the Pharisees. It's a whole different thing. It's understanding why you're here, your purpose, and living into that purpose. So you say, so what's my purpose, Craig? What does God want from me? Oh, well, let's let the prophets talk to us. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Surprise, surprise, at its core, it is all about restored relationships. Hmm, we've come full circle.
Live up to your purpose. What's that? Be righteous. What's that? Live in right relationship. Pursue right relationships. Jesus' new call to righteousness is not to abolish you, right? to weigh you down and beat you up. It's actually to fulfill you. Jesus has not come to abolish but fulfill. That includes you. He does not come to abolish you but to fulfill you. Right? This is what you were made to be. We are to live as salt and light. That's, when we do that, that actually is being true to what we were created to do. We are to live lives that are different and that make a difference. Now, I came across this quote that I absolutely love from Walter Brueggemann. Let me read it to you here, okay? It's a little long and hopefully not too convoluted, but I thought it was great. He said, Faith is a summons to be different. Jesus instructs his disciples on being different and on making a difference by loving one's enemies. That difference is the vocation, the calling of the church. The church faces two temptations. One is to give up difference and fade into the social landscape along with everyone else. But Jesus does prize purity, purity plus. The other is to separate from all the others, to be safe, pure, and unvexed by social reality, to just pretend the world isn't changing and I just ostrich my head in the ground. Neither choice is faithful. Rather, this community, this community, this church of Forest View, the church universal, this community is dispatched to be engaged in transformative, reconciling generosity. The only difference that finally matters. I love that. You want to know why you're here? You want to know why we're here as a church? It's to be different and to make a difference. That's the call of Jesus into our lives. And so that was a lovely sermon for me. And then I started to think about my own lives, life and my own relationships. And I thought about them at work. And I thought about some of the feudings that happen at work and some of the power struggles and some of the ugliness where I'm no longer thinking about people in the way I should, thinking the best about people is the way we phrased it here at Forest View. We want to think the best about people. That isn't happening. I think about my relationships, even in my family. <laughs> my wife will testify, testify to this. I can get so wrapped up in doing this, that, or whatever, even sermons, <laughs> that I'm not present, that I'm not actually relational. You might think I'm friendly, because up here I'm smiling and I'm talking to everyone. I actually struggle huge with that. Right? And the older I get, the easier it is for me to draw into my little shell and not take the initiative to pursue relationships. All right? To become more and more and more insular. To let my group of friends become smaller and smaller and smaller. 
That's my, my reality. Jesus' call way too often falls on deaf ears for me. So I've learned that I need, I need some help. First of all, I need reminders. I need to be reminded of Jesus' call to live a life that is different and that makes a difference. And you know something? It's why, as maddening as church can be at times, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you'll know it can be a crazy place. There's so many different people here. Right? As maddening as it can be, it is a beautiful, beautiful invention. Right? It is a great gift from God. It's the place where I can come to get a dominant, to, to hear an alternative voice to the dominant voice of culture, right? Culture says, you have heard it said, but I come here and I hear an alter, a gospel, a good news that says, you have heard it says, but I say unto you, Craig, that's not the way you should be living. I need those reminders, right? Where else would I encounter passages like this that we just read today except here? I need these reminders. We're a community of people who desire to meet Jesus and become more like him. That happens here. So my encouragement to me and to all of us is, well, it's actually Paul's, the author of the Hebrews words first. He says, don't stop assembling together. You need this stuff. We need this stuff. Which brings me to my second point. I need traveling companions. Yes, it's great to hear the word of God and to encounter Jesus in a unique way as a community. But this is way too hard to do by yourself. And it's why I love these ideas of CovComs. What's, what's the numbers now we're at, Paul? Like We have like crazy number of people here. 140 people out of, look around, right? involved in a CovCom rep recognizing that we can't do faith alone. We need reminders, and we can't do this alone. And third, I need grace. I need reminders of grace. Because if not, it's just too hard, and I get too discouraged. And so it's why I love coming here and having this bread and juice to remind us that God's grace washes over us. We kind of come to this table as beatitude people. That was a phrase that was sort of popping up around here a few years back. We love this idea of being beatitude people, people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? Recognizing and mourning over our own, our own poverty and coming to this table to once again be filled with the grace of God. I, I think that's pretty special. The table reminds us of God's first move to bring righteousness to us, to bring us into relationship, to reconcile us, to bring peace, to restore us, to save us. And with that gift comes this wonderful, renewed call to live out our purpose to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, to live according to your purpose 
even as your heavenly father has charted that out for us. It's a gift and a call. So in just a moment, we're going to pass these emblems out as our reminder of grace. They're going to pass out. I'm going to ask you just to hold them. Hold them in your hands. All right? Take them, hold them, look at them. Look at them long. They represent for you the lavish love of God, the forgiveness and mercy of God, the you are my good and faithful and loved servant. Right? You are my son, my beloved son. This all comes to you through this bread and juice. Hold it. Look at it. Smile, because this is good news. Right? And then, after everyone is served, I'll pray, and we'll take the emblems together. Okay? So, I'm going to call our ushers up now to pass out these emblems and for the band to come back on the stage. What I'd like for us to do is to use these Beatitudes as a way to prepare our hearts, okay? I'll have you read, and I'll be the reader there to respond. Are you ready? Let's read together. Jesus said, together, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in the light of your teaching, we confess the poverty of our spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus, teach us to weep for this world. Give us your heart of love. Blessed are the meek, inherit the earth. Father, forgive us for the way we clamor after power and attention popularity, and wealth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, we do long for your righteousness. Fill us with your spirit of love. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful Father, we give you thanks for your great mercy, undeserved. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus, form us into a people who are pure of heart because we long to know you more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Father, you are the great peacemaker. Break down the walls. We need your peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus, remember that you endured persecution for us. You died for us. And you live forevermore. Blessed be your name. Amen.